Hi everyone, welcome to the Raw Show with Michael McDonnell and I'm here with a very special guest. We have Annalisa Perrant who helps, who helps entrepreneurs publish and write and market their, their books, their expert books and spends a lot, of, a lot of her time helping people become experts with the books that they write. So Annalisa, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Excellent. So I thought we'd we'd start with a bit about you, if that's okay. So share with the listeners what, where where were you born and um, what was it like for you growing up? Yeah. So clearly, I have an American accent. I was born in the U.S. and uh, in a state called New Hampshire, <laughs> which I guess maybe must be like Hampshire, but uh, over here, uh, <laughs> region of the United States called New England. So we have something in common there anyway, not far from Boston. Um, so I grew up in a small town, uh, went to a small high school, and then branched out in college, what you guys call uni, and uh, yeah, I have traveled the world since then and have been a writer basically since I could hold a pencil. So I uh, told my parents stories, told all my classmates stories. It's, it's always been in my blood. All right, cool. So was, was there something that you, you had from a, a young age? What, what age did you start? down the, the storytelling and, and writing path? Uh, I had my first poem published when I was nine. So that was a little intimidating because I had to read it on the state house lawn. Um, you know, so I was this little kid reading in front of all of these state senators and things. Ooh. It had to be a poem about our state. I don't even remember what I wrote, but I remember it being very scary. <laughs> that they had to put two boxes at the podium because I was so little. <laughs> um, and I got a pu published a couple of times, you know, throughout my childhood and then into high school. Uh, and then I started writing for the newspaper as soon as I went to college. All right, excellent. So I guess because you've been writing for so long, you've probably got this, this idea of the... Um, you know, getting in flow, so to speak, or this creative process. And while a lot of writers do talk about trying to get themselves in the the best state to to write, I guess, because it's, it, I imagine it being challenging. I mean, all the times I've been writing, it can be quite challenging. I do find the the 5,000 words that feel effortless is so much better than the, the 400 that take you twice as long because you've got to force it. So what could you tell us about the the idea of, of this process then, being in flow and being creative and all of those sorts of things? Sure. I mean, a lot of people get writer's block, which is what you're talking about, you know, just feeling like you've got to force the work or force the words. And certainly in my work with writers, we've got a lot of strategies to get yourself out of that rut and really into a more healthy relationship and pattern with your writing. But it is important to remember that the writing process is really made up of two separate functions. There's the creative function, and that's what you're talking about. Um, you know, whether we're writing a blog post or we're writing a novel, we feel like we're really in flow. We're just kind of going with it. It's coming really naturally. But there's also a work aspect of it, like anything else. Um, 
you know, if you think about a professional hockey player, for example, um, I don't know how often they think about how much fun it is to skate on the ice. Uh, they may have moments where they remember that fun, but there's also a lot of work for them to do there. Um, and writing can be the same way, especially if it becomes your profession. There's a discipline there in the same way that there is in sports. Uh, there's perfecting your craft in the same way that you have to if you want to be a professional sports player. Uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's just work. There's, there's getting uh, on the ice, as it were, putting the pen to paper and, and making it happen. And, and that's just part of the process. And I think sometimes people overlook that or they think that it always should be that lovely creative flow. And it certainly can be that a lot, but there is also a work aspect to it as well. Hmm. Do you notice um, a difference in, in the quality of the output? So the, the difference between the two. So you've got this idea of, of creativity and flow and, and just going with it. And then you've got this idea of, I don't want to say forcing it because obviously that's, that's not always the case, but this thing, okay, this is this is work now. I've got to put my pen to paper, and I've got to write things down. Do you notice a difference in the in the quality of the the end result? As a reader, or in my own writing? Uh, let's, let's let's go with both. Well, I mean, I think a, a good writer, someone who's experienced, is going to be able to create a polished product, whether that came out. <laughs> as a three o'clock in the morning moment of genius or whether it, um, you know, came from, as Oscar Wilde said, you know, putting in a comma and taking it out again. Um, it's, it's really the end product for the user should be as smooth as possible, whether or not it was work or effortless for the writer because the writer at the end of the day really isn't the, the product, the actual creation is the product. And so there's a separation there. Um, you know, certainly when I'm in moments of feeling less creative than others as the writer, you know, looking at it from the writer's perspective, when I push through those moments, I think that the important thing there, Michael, is to push through, to get to the other side and you know, I, I've been doing this for a while, so I've created a lot of strategies to do that for myself. And I know how my writing process works and I'm able to help other writers with that, having been through it myself. Um, but it, it frequently feels forced. It feels like I'm not writing anything good. It feels like, oh goodness, this is terrible. And I keep writing. And, you know, the next day, sometimes I come back and say, yeah, you know, this wasn't the best work I've ever done, but it's a lot easier to go back and edit than it is to, to write. So I can fix this. There's, there are the right ingredients here. And if I hadn't pushed through, then I wouldn't have given myself the right ingredients. Right, yeah. So I guess, I guess the the thing that you're kind of pinpointing is this difference between the perspectives. So from the writer's perspective, you might feel forced. It might it might be difficult just to get a paragraph out. But to the writer, to, to the writer, to, to to the reader, from the the shift in the perspective, it is that they don't see that. So it's kind of like when you're on the when you're on the giving of the the service or the product or the whatever, the person on the receiving end doesn't doesn't know any different. They don't know 
that you've had to force it. They don't know if you know what you're doing or not, so to speak. So I guess, I guess that's, that's the thing that we, we need to, to address, I guess, or allow ourselves to understand is that it is that change in, in perspectives. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, we've got to assume, you know, over, over on the other side of the pond, you're all into to football, you know, those footballers, um, you know, they probably had a fight with their wife or their coach or whatever one day out of the season before they went on the field. If you watched every match from the entire season, you would be hard pressed to figure out which one it was that he had a fight with somebody before he went on the field. You know, yeah, probably. Um, right. Because I mean, he had a job to do. He had to get out and do the thing that he does. And, and the same is true for us as writers. If it's a struggle, we still need to make it seem effortless in the product. Um, and, and that's what being a professional writer is. Uh, it's, it's applying that butt to the chair and getting it done and not just getting it done because certainly we can get it done and it's pretty dang sloppy, but we have mm. to go back and refine it and really craft it to meet the needs of our purpose and our audience and our tone. Right. So you, you alluded to your, your writing process and how you get yourself in your best frame of mind to to actually sit down and write. Now I'm sure I'm sure the process is is tweakable for, from person to person, but are there any key things that that you'd be willing to share that would help others in terms of getting themselves in the the right place to write? Absolutely. So one of the things that I really work with, Michael, as you may know. Um, I've studied creativity in the brain, learning in the brain extensively. Um, and one of the things that I say a lot is find the writer that you are and be that writer. And when I say that, I mean it from a neuroscientific point of view. And, you know, I just had a book that came out that's called Storytelling for Panzers, How to Write and Revise Your Novel Without an Outline. And the point of that book is that some people are firm outliners and some people are firm pantsers or they fly by the seat of their pants without an outline. And it's important to know uh, what you are. Are you an outliner? Are you a pantser? Are you a morning writer? Are you an evening writer? Uh, does it work better for you if you sketch before you write? Does it work better for you to, uh, you know, leave off mid-sentence the night before and pick it up the next morning. So there's an exploration there that leads to productivity, that leads to creative flow in discovering and finding who you are as a writer. And so the work that I do really focuses on how the brain works, focusing on different learning modalities, and there we're talking about being a visual learner, being an auditory learner, being a kinesthetic learner, and how that contributes to what it really means for how your brain creates and therefore writes. And once you tap into really the way that you're meant to create and write, then writer's block is almost non-existent for you. I'm not going to say that I don't get writer's block, but it doesn't really happen very often and it doesn't last very long because I've figured out how to work through that. And that's what I work with my clients on so that they can be in that same space so that writing feels comfortable, so that it's moving forward. That doesn't mean there aren't moments of struggle, but once you find the way that your brain is meant to create, then writing becomes a whole new 
uh, level of comfort, a comfort zone, and something that's enjoyable and fun again. Right, nice. So is this you saying then that you could tailor um, someone's, you know, pre-writing process or pre-writing ritual to get themselves set that you would recommend tailoring it to how you prefer to take in information so if someone was an audio learner maybe listening to music before you sit down to write what might benefit you if you're a visual learner could be a case of you seeing pictures or you drawing pictures of let's say a part of the book before you sit down to write it or all those sorts of things yeah I mean it could be any of those things and certainly we're working within those modalities to really optimize creative function through those you know so so most people are visual learners and so when they think about a novel the way that they conceptualize a novel has to be largely visual right so they have to be able to see their novel. So if you think, Michael, about any given novel that you've even read, never mind being the creator, trying to hold that picture of the whole novel, of the, everything that happened as a picture in your head is pretty dang complicated. And so you start to see the problem for these novelists as they put together the pieces. The same thing is true for your auditory learners, right? They need to be able to hear it. What does it sound like? So if you were Dickens, you might be channeling, you know, the sound of the street in London in the mid 19th century. What does that sound like? Um, and they really need to be in tune with that. And the kinesthetic learners need to feel it in their body. They need to move things around and that needs to be a physical experience for them. And once they tap into that and they've really got some methods and some ways to, to move or to hear or to see their novel, then things start to flow creatively very easily. Right. So if, I mean, are there any, are there any particular things that maybe are more powerful than others? So, you know, do, do you think that creating your own drawings of things would be more beneficial than looking at, say, pictures on, on Google, for example? I mean, how, how powerful can some of the strategies be? And they're super powerful once you tap into the ones that work for you. Um, you know, the difference between the two examples that you gave, you know, if I were 100% a visual learner, in other words, I could only learn by you showing me things, then searching on Google would certainly be great for me. Most people are some combination of all of them um, and have one that's dominant. So if we're talking about uh, drawing a picture of the setting of our novel, for example, you know, that would tap in certainly to the visual aspect. But we're also thinking about the kinesthetic, right? The feel of the paper, the feel of the charcoal across the sketch paper, all of those things really contributing to that full experience. And if you were truly kinesthetic, then you'd probably want to do it large. You know, you'd want to put a big piece of butcher paper on the office wall and, and really have those long strokes to really get that kinesthetic experience. Um, but, you know, with most things, as with most things, it's not really about the what, 
It's about what that thing is doing in your brain. And in our brains, when we're working with optimal creativity, we've got a lot of synaptic activity that's happening between the two hemispheres of the brain. And that's just really fertile ground for creativity. Right. So how, how can we engineer creativity then? So you mentioned, you mentioned trying to link, say, your, your learning style or how, how you would prefer to take an information, which, which is great. So for people that, that know that, that's obviously um, a way for them to move forward. But what if you don't know? Is, is there a way of you to, to figure that out? And then to, talk to us a little bit about how creativity works. Because you, you, you alluded to it before regarding that you've done some research into it and you've you've kind of cracked the code in terms of neuroscience and all of those types of things so is, is there any way that you can figure out what your learning style is and then share a little bit about how we could make the most or even just try to be as creative as possible yeah i mean that's really interesting um you know this is an area where a really highly tuned autodidact might be able to do some stuff that would, you know, inform them and move them forward. Certainly, you know, if you wanted to tap in and try to figure out what works best for you, um, you know, the work that I do is, is a complex intersection of a lot of things, you know, so we've been talking about the different modalities um, you know, there are also, you know, one of the things that we haven't gotten into are all of the various functions of the brain. And now I'm not a neuroscience, but I, scientist, but I have studied neuroscience as a, an instructor, as an educator, as a writing coach to help work with the way that the brain works. And, you know, a lot of that, Michael, things we haven't even talked about. Um, are, are dealing with fear and really how our reptilian brain interfaces with that fear, right? So this is, I mean, this is an equation that has so many moving parts, which is why I say, you know, you can go out and try to figure out what you are and it might be good to know, oh, I'm a visual learner. Um, but that one piece of information alone may or may not help you to, to move forward because it's a pretty complex, you know, for me, I've studied this for over 15 years and it led to two teacher of the year nominations for my work based on these principles in the classroom, just really implementing these and getting to know, you know, first who students were and now who writers are and how they're going to create the best. So, um, you know, like any good coach, Michael, having that outside feedback works really well. So if I can give you an analogy, you know, if I want to learn how to skate like a pro hockey skater, I could watch a lot of YouTube videos, you know, I might be able to find some tutorials and I can take my skates and I can go out on the ice and I can try to do that thing. And I might become pretty good at it if I'm pretty good at training myself. But if I had an NHL hockey coach or player or, you know, somebody who is in the know come alongside me for an afternoon and say, no, put your feet here, move your leg that way. That would be a lot more helpful for me than me trying to learn from YouTube. And I think that that analogy is really relevant here. Um, 
you know, you can do some work and absolutely in trying to find your best writer, but working with a quality coach, I think can accelerate your, your practice and your progress much faster. Hmm. So, but we're kind of staying on the idea of, of writing the book and you, you did mention, you did mention fear there. So obviously fear plays a part in our daily lives, not just mm-hmm. writing a book. So talk to us a bit about fear in terms of the, the writing process and maybe just as the whole start to finish of the book, because obviously I would imagine at least that fear shows up at every step of the way. Every step of the way. Yeah, so so how would fear play a part? And I guess, you know, have you got any strategies for dealing with the the fear at those different stages? And then we'll we'll probably get into the idea of of publishing and and marketing after that. So, yeah, share with us about the the fear aspect and what what us as aspiring writers that are listening to this could could do about it. Yeah, you know, I think... Most people who come to me say, I've always wanted to write a book, um, but I don't know how. So that's a fear, right? Not knowing how. Um, I don't know what to say. I don't know if my message is important enough. Uh, I don't know if anybody would want to read it, right? Those are the kinds of fears that people have at the beginning. And then if they've started they might say things like, I don't know how to finish. I don't know if it's good enough. I don't even know what to do with it if I do finish. Uh, I don't know where to go with it. I've heard that publishing is really hard and I don't think that they would pick me, right? Those are sort of like your your beginning slope fears. Um, And then on the other side of the slope, you know, once it's done, there's the fear of, you know, what if nobody likes it? What if everybody rejects it? What if nobody wants to publish it? And then once it's accepted, you say, well, what if the readers read it and they hate it? What if they hate me? Um, What if they send me bad emails? Um, What if they give me bad reviews on Amazon? Um, You know, the fear, I think, never stops. So this thing that we do called writing takes a lot of courage because we're putting ourselves out there. We're putting our message out there. We're putting our beliefs out there. We're really, you know, wearing our hearts on our sleeves, even if we're writing fiction um, to, to say, Hey world, you know, this is the thing I created and come and look at it. And so, yeah, we've got a lot of strategies that we use in our programs over here at date with the muse to help people work through the fear because that's really, really, really the most important thing is to get into that mindset that you do have something to say, that you do have a story to tell. And not only that, but the authors that we work with are authors whose messages are changing lives every day. Um, There's somebody out there thirsting for the thing that you have to say, for the story that you have to share about that thing that you went through, for the message that you have to share, for somebody who really needs it right now. Um, Those are all real. And, you know, we help them all the way through all of those fears. Um, You know, what we're doing right now, Michael, you know, having this podcast interview for some of our authors, that's just terrifying. Oh, I could never do a podcast interview, right? So, all right, you know, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. But, you know, we can help you work through that. Because really, what we're doing right now, Michael, we're just having a conversation. That's all we're doing. And, you know, there's not a fear factor there. I don't know you very well. You don't know me very well. We're getting to know each other. And that's kind of fun. 
So just kind of turning that around, looking at it from a different perspective, and that's a really powerful tool for working through fears. Right, so there's, there's this element of, of seeing things through a different lens then to help us get through the fears. So what, what if, so, so I'll, I'll be a bit, more, a bit more specific with the, the fear then and see if there's anything that, that you can think of. So let, let's, say, <coughs> let's say that the aspiring writer is at a point where they've, they've wrote the book, so the, the books now isn't the issue. They've got from start to finish, but then they're unsure if it's right. They're unsure if the publisher will like it or the people that read it might like it because they might go down the self-publishing road, which I think we'll, we'll probably touch on. But they've got this, this idea of the book not being good enough. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. You know, for writers who come to us with an unfinished novel, a lot of what we're doing as we help them to finish the novel is to know how to know if it's good enough. And what we mean by that is working to industry standards because, you know, the kind of novel that was published 100 years ago is not the kind of novel that's published today. The kind of novel that was published 50 years ago is not the kind of novel that's published today. Right, so okay. what are people looking for now? And if once you know that and you've got that concept down, then you don't have to say, oh gosh, you know, maybe this doesn't fit into the kinds of things that are getting published today. Because you know the answer to that question. You don't have to be afraid of that anymore, right? So we're fighting fear with facts. And then the other thing that we fight fear with in our programs is, um, you know, you can get all kinds of negative feedback out there in the world, whether it's on your writing or anything else. And one of the things that we do that differentiates our program is that we're really coaching our writers so that they can start to see not only what the craft guidelines are, not only what good writing craft looks like, what it is as an, as an art, but where they fit within that context, because it's a really important thing to know about yourself. You know, do I write dialogue well? Okay, that's something that I do well. Or is that something that I need to work on? And if it's something that I need to work on, how specifically can I work on that, right? That's not a fear anymore because we've got a strategy. I don't need to be afraid of this thing because all I need to do is this, this, and that, right? So, you know, I guess that you could say if you're gonna summarize what we do over here, we're really fighting fear uh, with, with facts, with information, with really looking at what the reality of the situation is and, and reframing that perspective so that we can move forward through the fear. Yeah, that, that seems really interesting to me then because in terms of the, the fear side of things, is the fear might not actually be true. And by using this element of fighting fear with, with fact is that you actually get to potentially the root of the issue. Um, you can dis dispel some of it, you know, maybe prove that some of these things are, are just myths and it makes, makes things a lot easier to move forward. And I guess another, another thing that, that perked my ears up a little bit was this, this idea of, of pushing through it as well. Like if if it's not true, then the only way that you're ever gonna actually 
get past it is to actually get past it. Like you've got you've got to spend time doing it, even though you don't think you can do it for whatever reason. And eventually, it'll it'll subside. It'll go away because you've you've proved it wrong. So let's let's drift slowly into the publishing and marketing side. So once once you have the book. I mean, obviously, you, you probably correct me a little bit with this. In terms of writing the book and then the publishing and marketing side, talk us through, talk us through how, how that works, first and foremost, because you, you work at a publishing house, so you know that side as well. And then, I guess, talk a little bit about the differences between self-publishing and then going through a publisher as well. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was about 16 questions in one. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I do a couple of different things, Michael. I work with fiction writers who are looking to traditionally publish. So those are manuscripts that we're sending out to top agents and, um, you know, we're looking for top representation. Many of my authors are moving toward the, the, the big five, they're called the big five publishers here in the U.S., um, and so that's what we do with fiction writers. And then over in the entrepreneur world, we're working with entrepreneurs to write their expert book, and then we publish it for them. Uh, I am the senior editor over at Laurel Elite Books. So we publish their book for them. And not only do we do that, but we create individualized marketing plans so that these books actually sell. Um, and we're working under a couple of different ideas when we do that. Firstly, we assume that all entrepreneurs write on some level, whether they're writing memos or they're writing blog posts, um, but that they wouldn't necessarily call themselves writers. So we're helping them with the process of how to put together a book. What does that look like? What order does it go in? What do you include? Um, and then giving them the feedback on what they actually do write so that they can be really, really clear. So that's something that's a little different about our program. Um, we're also working under the assumption that they want to get this book into the hands of people who are actually going to read it and then want to work with those coaches or entrepreneurs. So, you know, we have lots of entrepreneurs who come to us and say, yeah, I wrote a book five years ago, but I've got 500 copies still sitting in the garage. Well, that's not <laughs> doing any good for your business. That didn't do what it was supposed to do. So, right. Our plan is really comprehensive to take you all the way from idea to having that book in the hands of the people uh, whom you want to have it with. So, um, you know, we help with that individualized marketing plan, which is a huge part of what we do and what we offer so that people are actually successful in their goals because we recognize that an expert book is not you know, a novel. You're not putting this out for its artistic merit. You may love your book. It may be beautifully written. We hope it is because it's written with us. Um, but it, it also, it's got another mission, right? It's out to show the world what you have to offer, what's special about you, what's unique about you, what you have to offer the world, um, and hopefully to bring clients through the door. So uh, that's a little bit about what I do as far as helping people to get published either traditionally with their fiction 
or to publish with us. Um, we're a hybrid publishing company. We work with our writers for about three months to get them to write that, uh, to create their entire marketing plan, their websites, their social media. We do all of that with them, their promo videos, their lead magnets, all of that is part of our program. We end in a really exciting retreat. And you probably saw, Michael, we've got a retreat coming up in Australia in March of 2018. We've got enrollment open right now so that's an option for your listeners as well yeah so what what would the difference be because obviously you go down both roads both the the self-publishing and then <clears throat> through the publishing house as well so what what would you say was the, the difference between the two because it seems like you you offer a lot that a self-publishing would do so someone wants to publish a book themselves all by themselves they need to do all the marketing and the videos and everything else themselves where you would offer that with your with your company but then how does that differ from going down the traditional road well <laughs> that is a complicated question so if you're going to self-publish a book right you've got to write the book on your own then you've got to find somebody to design a cover for you. That's something that we do. Um, and, you know, we don't have to call out any books, but we've all seen those books that we can tell that somebody self-published it just by looking at the cover. Um, mm. You know, our cover designers are all up on what's trending now, what people are picking up now, what fonts and colors, and, you know, they're up on what they do. Then you have to hire somebody to do the interior layout. Um, then you have to hire somebody to upload it. Then if you want it printed, then you have to pay for that. Um, you know, so you're nickeled and dimed through the whole process. And what you end up with is a book with your name on it and, you know, a whole lot of work to do to get that into people's hands. So that's what self-publishing looks like. You know, if you're somebody who already has a speaking platform and you just want to give away your books to the people at your talks, then that might be a good route to go. If you're looking for it to scale your business, it's probably not the best way to go because it's, you know, without... Um, marketing professionals without wanting to make that marketing your next full-time job, which it will become, um, then you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot if you go the self-publishing route uh, in that way. So, you know, the advantage of working with a publishing house, of course, is that you're getting all of those things, right? You've got the cover. So you don't have to worry about that. We work with our authors, you know, so if we choose purple and they're like, purple is the ugliest thing I've ever seen, then <laughs> we work with them to go with something else, you know? I mean, right. Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a collaboration there. Um, we're laying out that book professionally. Uh, we're helping them to design their interior graphics so that they very clearly demonstrate whatever concepts it is that they're trying to illustrate with those graphics. Um, you know, and of course, the marketing is huge because we're helping them to get talks. We're helping them to get into the media. We're helping them to really open those doors that, I mean, I don't know how many times you've picked up the phone, Michael, and tried to get on national television, but it's not something that just anybody can do. So, hmm. um, you know, we're helping them to create all of these high level marketing opportunities for themselves, um, as well as building out their entire platform with the website, the social media, and all of that. Um, if you 
even sit down and try to think about how many hours of your life that would take up, you'll start to see why I say that it becomes a new full-time job just to promote your book. Never mind the work they have to do to maintain your business and to grow your business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see that. So it's almost, it is almost like you've got two jobs to do. You've got one job is writing the book and then you feel like you're always on a, a constant mission to, to promote it in the, in the best and I guess most beneficial ways because, you know, you can, you can probably do more, more I, I don't want to say impact, but you can speak to more people if you were on TV rather than writing a, a blog post on your blog, for instance, depending on the size of your blog. So I guess it would depend on the position of the writer. So if you already have a, a popular blog, and I think you mentioned a, a speaking kind of tour or you've got a speaking platform yourself. So if you're already... If you're already, a, I don't know, maybe a paid speaker or whatever the case is, and you just decide to release a book, then you've already got people out there that can buy it. But if you're someone that doesn't have an established audience, then just publishing a book, self-publishing as the method, won't necessarily mean that you will get people buying it because not enough people even know that you exist, never mind the, the, the book itself. Mm-hmm. So if you've got... Have you got any? Have you got any initial recommendations then? So let's let's just say you've got three recommendations that people do, and then let's go with three things that you would advise people avoid doing. So we'll do six six things to do, and no, it's not six. Three things to do, and three things not to do. As just in terms of marketing, or in terms of something else. Um, let's let's go with post book completion. So after they've wrote the book, three things to do, and then three things not to do. Um, so you know, once you've finished your book, you're definitely going to want to get a copy edit. Um, I can't tell you how many self-published books I've seen that are just riddled with typos and, you know, that just reflects poorly on your brand. You don't want to do that. Um, People make fun of people with books full of typos. So copy editing is definitely top. And, you know, you want to hire the the highest level professionals you you can. Um, You're representing your company with this book and, you know, a website is, is highly visual. There is some text, certainly, but a book is, is your message. I mean, it's, it's really important that it's spot on and that it looks professional. So, you know, the second tip would just be hire the highest level professionals at every level uh, that you can and, and really invest yourself in this project. Um, and then... Lastly, you know, I would say, um, you know, one of the things that that we offer as part of our program is a customized marketing plan. So as you said earlier, Michael, um, people who really want to grow their speaking or people who really want to grow their media presence, um, you know, we're taking into consideration what their current audience is and where they can really target their efforts the best because I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel like marketing 
the marketing exercise is just really random. You know, this week I'm going to work on my blog and next week I'm going to focus on my, you know, pictures on my website or, <laughs> you know, it can feel like it's all over the place. And so we're really helping them to target their efforts so that it's not randomized, so that they really are moving forward and not just spreading a wide net and hoping to catch a teeny tiny fish, right? We want them to spread the exact size net that they need and capture um, a really nice fleshy fish. <laughs> that was a silly analogy. Um, you know, so it, was, would, it was worth throwing in. It was worth throwing in. There you go. Um, so, you know, I would say those are those tips. Um, and I, you know, I, I sort of feel like, you know, if I say the don't do's, it's like, it's just a mirror of those because if I've got to choose, you know, the three most important post written book, Operations, I would say that those are they. Um, you know, there are certainly other things that you can do. Um, but the, I, I would say those are the three biggest mistakes that I see people make. Right. So kind of the, the opposite to that would be to not have it edited and it have the, the kind of typos and things. You want the book to, to be a, a good quality book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the opposite to hiring the highest level you can would be trying to do it all yourself and you end up designing things in, you know, um, a book cover in, in Word, say, because you can't use any of the, the, the softwares and all those types of things. So I guess that it is it's this idea of not having it edited so it's not as professional, um, trying to do everything yourself rather than hiring professionals to do it and being random with with your marketing as opposed to, to focused as you, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it, we're almost at the end. I mean, we've, we've covered a lot. I, I, th- I think there's a ton of things for, for people to take away. A lot of it was, I think in terms of the, um, the mind of the, the writer, because I, th- I think that's important because if, if you want to be good at writing and I think the, people that be listening to this and they probably do it's it is a skill at the end of the day so if you're not ready to write a book then maybe write articles and blogs and things build up the the size of your work and then when you think that you're ready to come to, to dedicate yourself to writing a book then you've you built up this, this level of skill so that you can you know, put your mind to work and create this book. So I think people that go, well, I just don't think I'm ready yet. Then, you know, you, you can you can build up to it. It's not something that you just got to dive in and go, okay, book time. You know, mm-hmm. so so there is there is that element to it. I think the the mind of the the writer was something we could, which which is something that I definitely found interesting and and valuable. So I hope others do as well. So we're we're almost at the end. So before we we go through the last, let's just say two or three questions, but they are quite quick questions, I promise. Um, how how could people find out more about you? So if someone wanted to to learn about you and what you do, where where could people go? And if you have anything that you want to to share with us, then now will be the time as well. Great. So my main website is date with the 
muse.com. Muse is like what inspires you. And so you can find out a lot about me there. If you'd like to come to our upcoming retreat in Australia, which as I mentioned, uh, is in March, March 18th to 23rd, 2018. Registration is open through the end of 2017 with early bird registration closing on November 15th. You can find out more about that retreat at datewiththemuse.com slash Australia. And you can apply right there uh, on that page. So uh, we've got a couple of slots left for that retreat. We offer at least one a year, um, sometimes up to four. I'm not sure what 2018 will hold for us as we're opening a new division in 2018. More info Mm. on that. Very Uh, nice. Yes. So, uh, you know, we can keep you posted. You can sign up for our mailing list right there to stay uh, on the retreat mailing list. And if people want to connect with me over on Facebook, I have a group that's called Write to Publish. And they can just join that group. And uh, we'll be chatting about retreats and upcoming events. We've got some online events as well. So people can participate from anywhere in the world. All right. Awesome. And that's write as in write a book. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. Just thought we'd uh, be clarify that for people listening. Um, so last last couple of questions then. Uh, do you have any resources that you could recommend to people that wanted to go down the, the writing road so that that could be to help them write the book or, or otherwise? Sure. I mean, I'd love to recommend my book that just came out in October. It's called Storytelling for Pantsers. It's available on Amazon anywhere in the world as a uh, hard copy book or as an ebook. And it does have an accompanying workbook. So it helps you to work through all of the exercises that I give you in the book so that you can actually finish your book. So uh, people have loved it. I've gotten great reviews. It's been pretty uh, game changing for many, many writers out there so uh, i'd love to hear from your listeners uh, the writers out there they can reach out to me on social media and ask me any questions but it's been a great resource for so many writers right nice i mean there aren't there aren't that many books out there that have a workbook to help you go through the exercises i mean there's loads of books out there that have exercises to do so 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 does your so is this part of the, the Amazon buy then, or is this, is this a separate thing? How, how could people get access to the workbook, or is it as part of the same buy on Amazon? Yep, they're both on Amazon. If you search storytelling for pantsers, uh, and that's like your, you wear your pants, <laughs> pantsers, mm-hmm. uh, they, they'll both come up. So they're both available on Amazon. They're also available on barnesandnoble.com. All right, cool. Okay. All right, last two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could say one statement to all of the writers listening or aspiring writers listening that would improve them in a positive way, what would it be? Just keep writing. Just keep writing. Short mm-hmm. and sweet. Short and sweet. <laughs> um, last one. This might seem a complete curveball, so you do have, uh, do have thinking time with this one. Um, what do you want the world to know about you that you don't already know? that we don't already know? Um, the Roman poet said, Horace said that you should always uh, mix a little foolishness 
into every day. That's a paraphrase. Um, but I really truly believe that. And it, it's not just because it's good for your brain um, and that neuroscience proves that. It's because that's what makes life enjoyable. And so if we can't laugh about what's silly um, or you know funny, if we can't get a good belly laugh in every day, um, then in my mind we're missing something. And so I am ridiculously silly um, <laughs> while being, you know, you know, I'm, I'm serious about what I do and I, I hope that I'm successful in what I do. But, um, you know, I love a good knock, knock joke. I love to dance. Um, I can dance silly. I just got back, as you know, Michael, I've been working with elementary school students this morning on a service mm -hmm. project um, and, and giggling with them is a joy. And, and for me, that's what life's really all about is those moments of joy, those moments of just laughter and silliness and sharing that with people. That sounds amazing. Okay, Annalisa, thanks for being a guest on the show. Really, really appreciate you finding the time. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a real pleasure.